From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, December 13th, Friday the 13th, 2019. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast, an unlucky edition of The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Meanwhile, in Orlando, Florida, our illustrious producer, keeping things on the rails down there, is Chandler Strang. Hey, Chandler. Hello. And out there in Loveland, Virginia, back in the saddle after a week on vacation. I don't even know what he's been up to. I, I hope that it's going to be part of our our upcoming witty repartee here in the next couple of minutes. Is our friend Jesse Carey? Hello, hello, Jesse. You're looking very. You look very windswept. You're you're pulling Sun you're pulling kissed. pieces of sand out of your eyelashes from the your your beard is down to your navel. Where have you been for the past couple of days? I've been on a little vacay in a lovely part of the country called Palm Springs, California. Never been there, but I will say this. It has made me an advocate for golf cart culture. Um, (laughs) Okay, where I was, golf carts are the primary form of communication uh, or or, uh, transportation. I like communication, though. It is, too. I mean, because it's mostly just little waves. I mean, most people are just communicating with a little wave. Here's what I've learned about golf carting. Uh, you know, it is, it's impossible not to feel super chill when on a golf cart. Like, yeah. Like, it, it, it's really, like, you can, be, you can be really stressed out, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can be stressed to the max. You hop on that golf cart. It only goes so fast. They've got governors on them. You know, and so it limits your speed. It, you know, the golf cart is really like a sermon analogy. You know, <laughs> you put the sometimes in life you just throw that governor on, slow down a little. You know, Th- there's no windows or anything. You're you're exposed to elements. It's impossible not to feel awesome riding a golf cart. They're super fun. It f- you feel kind of invincible. You you feel like I could probably make that turn. I could probably hop that curb. That's going to be no big deal. <laughs> like everything about everything about being on a golf cart is just awesome. Like there's nothing about it that isn't just fantastic. Like I've I'm considering investing in a golf cart. You I was know. talking to a friend recently uh, whose, whose parent or, or grandparent, I think, is getting a little bit up there uh, and is starting to get a little concerned about about driving, about about letting this individual yeah. continue to drive, right? And so they were thinking of compromising with by by giving uh, them a golf cart, taking the car away and giving them a golf cart to drive. I'm not sure how I feel about that because I think a golf cart is actually more dangerous in some ways because of the because you feel so in charge when you're in a golf cart cars you feel you have got a little bit like okay this is a real this is a big machine i can go this can go up to 120 miles an hour if i floor it i gotta be careful golf carts it's like what i'm I'm gonna drive through the sidewalk i'm gonna take it down through Times square into the mall down the escalator to the candy aisle and buy myself something and then drive back out the same way yeah that well that's the thing like they can they can go anywhere they can do anything and here's it like if if you if you are driving like on a normal road okay and (laughs) someone and someone just happens to like merge on a golf cart 
no one's angry. Everyone's like, well, that's whimsical and cool. I wish yeah. I was the yeah. I wish I was the person on the golf cart. <laughs> like you're instantly jealous. Like, wow, man, that, that 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 dude's on a golf cart. That seems pretty chill and fun. You know, no one's judging the golf cart person. You know, <laughs> golf cart people have it figured. The, 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 other than golfers. If someone's in a golf cart, you know they got life figured out. Here, here, okay? Like, one, you're like a Secret Service guy, and you're driving around the president or something. Secret Service has it figured yeah. out. You're a retiree who doesn't want to get behind the wheel of the car. Don't got time for that. And they're going to keep their radius tight. That's the other thing, too. So you don't got time to drive across town. You got to keep a tight radius. You got a battery on this bad boy. It's not going that far, you know? Keep a tight radius. You got figured out. You got your whole life, like, in a half-mile radius. Golf cart people know what's going on that's that's my big takeaway here this is a story that i probably shouldn't i, I probably shouldn't tell but you know what it's, it's friday it's december 13th you know it's friday the 13th i'm gonna i'm just gonna chance it i'm gonna take a risk on this day i remember this was a couple of years ago me and some friends were all we're at it we weren't golfing we were watching some sort of golf tournament i'm not a big golfer but they, they invited me to come along and so i decided to to join them to watch this tournament. After the tournament was over, we were walking back towards our cars. There was a golf cart in the way. My friend, for some reason, had keys to a different, to his own golf cart at a golf course. He worked at a golf course. We weren't at that golf course, but apparently golf carts, there's only like three or four different keys. You know, they all kind of work. It's like a universe. If you got one golf cart, key. You got them all. So we just hopped in this person's golf. I don't know who it belonged to or why it was standing there, why it was abandoned, but we took it out. We drove it off, off the golf course. We went to, we went to lunch in that thing and just left it there. (laughs) Well, that's it. I mean, listen, if I was like a presidential candidate, right? I, my platform would be like, it wouldn't be like every American gets a golf cart. It would be like golf carts are just going to be around like Like every city. Yeah. It's like limes, but you don't even need the app. It's just golf carts. Are just sitting around town, okay? And it's and it's this big social community experiment. If you need a golf cart, there's just one sitting around. Like I would, I would take a bunch of money that we're spending on, you know, like battleships or something. And then listen, uh-huh. nothing, uh, uh, nothing against, uh, you know, no, the, yeah. the navy. We're not denigrating the military. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 something that's like if we had like one less, we might not even know the difference. And I would just buy like a few hundred thousand golf carts to just pepper them through the country and just give every American a little taste of that freedom. When you get back, you know, you get behind the wheel, one of those eight volts or whatever. I don't know what their batteries are, but it's true about the keys. Right. Because I had a buddy, my roommate in college, he used to work at a country club. And when he was in uh, high school and this was freshman year and he claimed that the same claim that you had that there's only like five golf cart keys in the world. Like <laughs> there's a pretty good chance that if you have yeah. this one of these like universal keys, you can just get in any golf cart and just go. Right. And so the whole year we're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Whatever, man, because security on campus drove golf carts, you know, so. So you had f- access. There you were golf carts everywhere. Yeah. 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 There were golf carts everywhere. And, uh, and so, uh, it's sure enough, we're, we're busting his shops all year. So we think he's just making this up. Uh, last, literally last week's school is finals week, which ended up being a, a, a big part of the story. This is kind of the saving grace of the story. It's finals week. And he goes and he's like, look what came in the mail today. One of my buddies at the golf course sent me the key. 
And so he puts it in his pocket and we're just waiting for the op- right opportunity. It's like two in the morning. We, we're going like, you know, to like, I don't know, uh, Wendy's or some, you know, fast food place, wherever you go in college. That's open super late. We notice in a, just an open parking lot on campus is a, is an unmanned security golf cart just sitting there, just right uh-huh. for the take. No, uh-huh. no, there's no, we have no idea where the security guard is. We have no idea why it's almost, it was almost entrapment. You know, it was almost like a bait car. You know what I mean? Like so, security's just waiting there in the bushes for someone to try to steal it so they can yeah. make the arrest. So we're like, all right, Tim, here's here's your chance, dude. And so uh, he gets out of the car, jumps in the golf cart. Dude, it fires right up and he just zips around <laughs> joy riding. Well, it doesn't take long between before the security guard comes running out, you know. And so then, you know, the wise move for Tim would be to jump off the golf cart and just run. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, because that security guard's more concerned about the golf cart than the perp at this point, you know. And so if he just would have ghost ridden that thing, just jumped off the golf cart, and let it roll. The security guard would have gone after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, he made a, the, a critical mistake and he ended up pulling it out onto the main road out in front of campus, like the actual road. Right. At that point, just as luck so would have it, he's running, he's fleeing the scene. Oh, he's fleeing no. the scene. And he's, but if you're in a golf cart, you got to use like you got to take a little side paths, right? You don't want to get out on the road like you're not going to No, This is not going to be a high speed, fast and furious type situation. You've got to be smart. No, hightail it through like a field or something. They're golf carts. They're made for lots of terrain. Right. So he drives out on the main road. Sure enough, just as luck would have it, a police car is driving down the road and oh. pulls up behind him and starts flashing the lights. Another police car there. It ends up there are three police cars with their lights going. And he's like on the main road in the middle of the night (laughs) on this golf cart and just decides, well, my only move is I have to run the red light. Maybe that will will aid my escape. (laughs) He runs the red light. Okay, then like we're watching from the distance like, oh, Tim, no. And so he's got he's got three police cars behind him. He's just run a red light. He. You ever seen someone on like a little cart or uh, or or something where they try to make it go faster by they start rocking back and forth? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Sure. Like they like try you're to on like, one of those like pop, one of those little toy horses at the at the supermarket. Yeah, you get a quarter in. If you wanted to go faster, he's like like subconsciously, like involuntarily, like rocking back and forth, thinking this will give me the speed boost <laughs> I need to evade arrest. So eventually, after a, a, a chase, you know. He decides to give himself up and the security guard who he stole it from eventually catches up and talks to the police and they said, you know, we'll handle this on campus, you know, so so they take Mm -hmm. him and we're up in the dorms and we're like, we didn't want to abandon him, but what are we going to do? The actual police are involved. (laughs) So uh, we're back up in the dorms and uh, we get we get a call. You know, he's they they had to wake up like, you know, the dorm director or whatever. And it's like a big thing. And they said, thankfully, though, everyone was so busy with finals week stuff and and wrapping up the school year that they're like, when you come back next year, your punishment will be waiting for you. That's what they told him, uh, that we're going to put it on your file. We'll punish next year. Sure enough, forgot. No consequences. Moral of the story. 
You can steal a golf cart and get away with it. You play your cards right. They should. That's why. That's why. If I was president, that would probably be my only platform. Like, hey, America, how you want like a few hundred thousand golf carts just peppered around, just joyride, just joyride. That, that'd be it'd be it'd be Jesse Joyride, and just and my logo would be a golf cart. It, they're they're fun. They solve all the problems. You know, it feels like especially when when uh. Yesterday, I, I some something like seven hundred billion dollars something went to the space force yesterday. That got yeah. that kind of got cleared through Congress. I, I don't pretend to understand what the space force is or what it's going to do or why it exists, but it seems like with that many billion dollars, uh, it would take a fraction of that for your plan to be implemented nationwide. Yeah, and I think it would self regulate because if everybody gets one key then you're maybe like a one in three chance it's going to work on your golf cart anyway. Yeah. So it's sort of a, it's, you know, it's like, it's like a fun little game throughout the day. Like, Oh, maybe this cart will be the way I get to work or maybe I'll have to walk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. And, and the other thing too, it's good for the environment because like uh-huh, I said, when yeah. you have the golf Battery. cart, you keep, you keep the radius tight too. You're not uh-huh. trouncing around town, right? No, if you're, no. if you have access to a golf cart, you're like, well, I don't, well, I don't want to take the real car. Like I got a golf cart. Golf carts are too fun. It, it also, you eliminate road rage. It's impossibly mad in a golf cart. Like someone who cuts you off, you're like, oh, that was kind of funny. Like, oh, he, gee, let's like race in our golf carts. Little, yeah. If, yeah, it feels like there should be like a little like Calliope music behind it when you're driving around. You could get like some, like some of the big green activists on board, like Greta Thunberg would be, you know, mm-hmm. she'd like rubber stamp this one, lend her support to it. I, <laughs> I, this is a winning platform. It is not too late to put your name in the hat for 2020, Jesse. I, I mean, listen, listen, it's hard. It's hard for candidates to differentiate themselves these days. You know, everyone's <laughs> kind yeah. of wanting versions the same of the same thing, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm yeah. the only one who's advocating that a majority of our GDP <laughs> be spent on hundreds of thousands of golf carts. Just pepper, just pepper up. And my, and the, my slogans, keep the radius tight. In 2020, <laughs> you don't need to go far. Just cart it around. You know, it solves a lot of problems. It builds community. People hang by their house. I, you know, I think it's a great idea. Road fatalities go. There's no one's ever. There's never been a fatal golf cart accident ever. Like, I mean, the, the most you can get hurt is try to jump out while moving. And trust me, I've jumped out many a golf cart while going full speed and just fine. I was just fine. I mean, that's kind of the fun of it. Kind of the fun of having the golf cart is is either pushing a passenger out or jumping out at full speed you're not going to get hurt it's just you feel like an action hero for a moment you know the benefit listen there are too many benefits to really get into i think i'm making a pretty good case here that's all i'm saying oh i've I, i've i've you've got, you've got my endorsement for whatever good the, the huckabee i know it doesn't have the same weight as my father the former governor of arkansas but i still got the name i still got the legacy brand behind i would just, my i want to be in you. one of these i want to be like in one of these debates and and like you know wolf blitzer's like uh, Senator Warren, that is your um, uh, take on standardized testing. Candidate Kerry, your response. Well, here's the thing. You can jump out full speed in a golf cart and not even get that hurt. So, uh, you know, what was the question? Oh, oh, you keep the radius tight, too. You're not going that far from the house. And so that's cool. That's cool. I mean, it really keeps errands running errands, you know. If you want to go far, go with one of those candidates. If you want to get there in one piece, you got to go with candidate Karen. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I want to ask everyone up on this stage, looking at you, uh, Mr. Yang, Bernie, 
I don't think this applies to you, uh, Senator Sanders, uh, uh, Senator Warren. You guys ever jump out of a moving car? Heck no, you haven't. I've jumped out of many golf carts, and it's so fun. Every American should do this. Keep the radius tight. <laughs> Who's not voting for this? <laughs> Your version of the Mayor Pete dance is just two hands at 10 and 2, just doing the back and forth. Just, just a little golf cart drive. <laughs> Well, with that, we better get on to the rest of the show today. Uh, we'll return to the golf cart discourse soon. But before we do that, we're going to be joined later on by, oh, this is a good one. Mark Stewart is going to be joining us. Mark Stewart, uh, formerly of Audio Adrenaline, now an author, has a really great story. He's here to talk to us about his new book, Losing My Voice to Find It. How a rock star discovered his greatest purpose. Looking forward to that. We're also going to be doing a return of a, of a great segment. We haven't done this in a while. A listener of the week will be joining us later on. But first, before all that, we're going to do the hot list. We'll do that after the break. Throw away that picture in your head. I am not your typical girl. Work harder now, work harder. You're listening to Betty by Jamila Woods. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard a festive tune from U2, Baby, Please Come Home. I'm not really usually a fan of Baby, Please Come Home, or even have not been all that big into U2 for the past <laughs> yeah. couple of years. But uh, but you know what? This one just was the weird two negatives that made for a positive for me. I was into, yeah. was into the song when I heard it. All right. It's time for a look back at the stories, the, the intersection of faith and culture, big stories of the week. It's time for... Coming to number five this week, uh, this is an interesting study that, that kind of runs against uh, the narrative a little bit. It says that younger Christians who leave their faith might not come back. I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but that's the story uh, caught my interest. So historically, American Christians have tended to get a little less devoted in their 20s during the upheaval of college, the job hunt, the general chaos of figuring your life out. But after marriage and parenthood, these people tend to come back to church longing for a little more stability. Now, that's been the case for generations, but new studies suggest that those times might be behind us. A new study from the American Enterprise Institute says millennials who drift from religion are far less inclined to come back than past generations were. Uh, what's interesting, I thought, were the reasons for this shift that this study found. They really found three. First, growing sense among millennials, the traditional institutions of Christianity simply don't have a whole lot to offer them. Millennials are far more likely than older generations to believe the American church is hypocritical and judgmental. And even millennials who consider themselves Christians often struggle to find churches where they feel their beliefs and principles are represented. Second reason is marriage, which looks a lot different for our generation than it did for our parents. Millennials are more likely to be part of an interfaith marriage than previous generations, making for more compromise on things like church attendance. And finally, and this was especially interesting because I don't think I've really seen this highlighted before in other studies that I've read about this sort of phenomenon, is the religious identities of millennials' parents. Studies show that boomers and Gen Xers often didn't prioritize religion in their own parenting of millennials, raising millennials with a much looser identification to their faith that they themselves were raised in. In other words, the millennial shift away from religious devotion actually started long before millennials began leaving the church. Does that uh, does that ch check out with your all with you guys' uh, sort of uh, own experiences? 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting um, because, it, it, you know, it sounds like one of the big outcomes of the study. It's like really not necessarily about people's individual relationship with God and the church. It's about mm-hmm. their relationship with other people in their life, whether it's their spouse yeah. or, or their significant other or their parents that really dictates to to some degree of whether they're going to remain with the church. I feel like that that is pretty interesting and insightful, especially because it kind of goes against uh, well, it doesn't go against, but it's it's a, a fresh kind of insight. I feel like than what we've heard that, you know, a lot of young people leave, you know, mainly because they're cynical or or they um, <clears throat> have been hurt by the church, or you know they they the church doesn't can't adequately answer their questions. It involves doubt, or they feel like Christians or the church are judgmental or hypocritical. You know, the, the kind of putting some of the responsibility on other people. You know, whether yeah. that be their parents, yeah. or, um, or even their peers. I feel like is interesting, and I feel like the it shows the importance of people who have remained in the church and remain passionate about their faith to keep people in their lives who are in a different place. Right. So like Mm -hmm. if you're someone who is passionate about your faith, you know, the implications of some of this research is it's really important for you to have relationships with people who aren't involved in the church or who, uh, who have left the church for a variety of reasons, because those relationships are really an important factor. I feel like it should be sort of, a call to action for Christians who are still passionate about their faith. Yeah, I I think so too. And I think it's doubly interesting that, you know, we've seen lately so many studies and and also just stories have come out uh, about the reason. I, I think that, churches when they first began to sense that they were losing younger generations. And this started probably back in the 90s. They started adding things like activity centers, uh, like gyms to the church. And obviously, we know we all know about like trying to update the music styles. Uh, but it seems like what the what has been missing, uh, the reason people leave really doesn't have to do with the fact they felt like the that the worship was out of date or that they couldn't play basketball at church. It had more to do with more substantive issues of their beliefs and their values and their principles. And those are things they just had a hard time seeing reflected back. And whether, and that's sort of a chicken or an egg thing. I understand that, but I think that's interesting that that it seems like churches tried to tackle this problem uh, the wrong way or, yeah. or met a had a real problem uh, that they, but sort of misdiagnosed what the issue or what the reasons behind it were, which has got us to where we are right now. Also interesting to know, kind of like you said, Jesse, we don't see a lot of studies suggesting that people believe in God dramatically less than future than past generations, uh, just that their outward identifications, like going to church or calling themselves, a, say, an evangelical, are that's definitely on a huge decline, which is very yeah. interesting and harder to yeah, quantify, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so number four this week, a coalition of worship leaders met President Trump in the Oval Office. A group of worship leaders, including Brian Houston, Carrie Job, Cody Carnes, and Brian and Jen Johnson, and Sean Foyt, were photographed in the Oval Office. In a video, Carrie Job said that the group prayed for the president and discussed the steps the administration says it's taken to combat human trafficking. Here's a clip. We've just gotten to be a part of the group today that uh, just got to be a part of praying in the cabinet room and in the Oval Office 
for President Trump mm -hmm. and got to listen to a lot of the uh, faith briefing of things that are going on in the White House and um, just religious freedoms and things like that. But the thing that moved me the most is just how everyone is so for making sure we're changing people's lives and not leaving those that are marginalized and those that have been trafficked and those that are, uh, for sometimes I think those of us that don't work in the White House, it could look really big and like mm -hmm. something that we can't really end, but they are working to end these things and yeah. change these things. And I've just been in tears all day. It's yes. been incredible. I'm just so thankful to be part of this today and to see what God's doing in our White House. The photograph was criticized for identifying Christian leaders with the president. But in a tweet, Bethel's Sean Foyt said, quote, if Obama would have invited us, we would have gladly gone. That just never happened. This is about position over politics. Only in 2019 would you gleefully disparage believers for praying over a president in the Oval Office. This is an interesting one, Jesse. This, yeah. this created a lot of chatter on, on my timeline yeah. over the past couple of days. Uh, I know you were out in California, so hopefully you, didn't, you weren't on Twitter too much, they, but it they, was the source of know, a lot in, of... In, in, in Hollywood, where I was, they block all <laughs> Christian content. So I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of this. Um, no, no, I should um, Yeah, no, I, I, did, I did see this, and... You know, I think there's a lot to unpack here, right? And so there's a lot going on. And, and full as people, uh, as listeners of this podcast know, I mean, it, but this isn't really. I don't feel like the disclosures, full disclosures, really necessary uh, because you know it's it's pretty obvious. Like we have personal relationships with a lot of people in that photo. You know what I mean? Yeah, many of these many of these people have been on this podcast. Yeah, many times. You know, um, you know, some of these people are. You know, I, I, I think I've told people in the past. You know, Sean and I went to high school and college together. You know, like I, we, we, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of people in that photo, and I, I do think that praying for people in power is important. I mean, we even heard, and not controversial either, right? I mean, we heard uh, no. Nancy Pelosi last week talk about how she said, prays yeah, for she the, prays yeah, the president. And, and, un, and she said it before without cynicism. Of course, she, she, she was also, she's also been very critical of the president. Um, and, and I think anytime someone asks you earnestly to pray for them as a Christian, I, I feel like that is something that that we should do, right? I mean, we, the, the Bible says not only we should pray for our leaders, but we should pray for our enemies. You know, like with the, you know, we there we shouldn't have um, distinctions of who is and who isn't worthy of our prayer. I think that's a good thing. There's also a long held tradition of faith leaders coming to the Oval Office to pray for the mm -hmm. president. Uh, in both parties, like Obama might not have invited worship leaders there, but he's invited. He invited plenty of faith leaders to go and, and pray for him. You know, um, he had, a, and, and I think most presidents have had a pretty robust faith outreach and a, a fairly regular. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I can't speak to whether or not Sean was invited to the Oval Office. Yeah. He, he says he wasn't, but I know that they certainly there certainly were a lot of Christians there, including some people from Relevant who met with the president. Yeah, and so so I I think all of those are good and positive things. I also think it's it's uh, you know there there are things that it's good as Christians to be informed about when it comes to, you know, like they mentioned something like steps to fight human trafficking. Sure. That, 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 mm -hmm. that that's a worthy thing to, to be knowledgeable about and the, the steps being taken um, uh, by people in power to, to, to do, to enact legislation that is positive. But I think the, where 
I think what probably rubbed people kind of the wrong way, and I feel like, you know, the critics have a point. It's like, it's not that Christian leaders are willing to go pray for the president. Like, I don't think anyone's arguing that's a bad thing. I think it's um, what the photo op implies, right? Like, the photo is the issue. Yeah, exactly. Because, it, I mean, look, the Bible specifically talks about this with prayer, that you don't do it showfully, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it specifically tells Christians, when you pray, do it behind closed doors. Like, don't do it so that other people recognize you praying, right? Like, that's what, I mean, Jesus told his followers to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. I think... Not only did he say it opens you up to look like a hypocrite, because if I'm out making a big showy prayer on, you know, publicly, and then I live my life a different way, I I look like a hypocrite. My prayers look false. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it also makes you look, you risk looking pious. And uh, in this case, I feel like the risk is earnest prayers are used for political gain. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the photo, the implication is endorsement. Right. The, the, I, again, I don't know the personal politics of each one of those worship leaders, and I'm sure they're diverse and nuanced. But a photo doesn't communicate that. A photo, a photo doesn't communicate that. Looks like endorsement. And, and two, like I said, we, we like the Bible warns us not to be uh, a, a showy about prayer. You know, like mm-hmm. when, when when a prayer when a prayer service is turned into a photo op, I, I do think we, you know we as Christians seem to very, be very careful about that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really well put, Jesse. That's that's really wise, and and uh, we do say this criticism with with some genuine love and appreciation for the, some of the people in this photo who we've had the the ability to talk to and and uh, and and who have who have been gracious to us and giving us their time and to be on this podcast and and part of our platform in the past. So I, I when we say all this, we say it with an open invitation. We to for them to respond, obviously, and, and hope that they take these in the spirit that they're offered. I think that it is this photo got me asking a lot of questions. Uh, obviously I, I we've talked on this podcast before and uh, certainly in my own personal social media feed about our feelings about this administration and the president. I, yeah. I make no uh and I stand by all those things. Um uh, and I think that for me personally, if this president were to extend an invitation, uh, I, I don't think I would feel comfortable taking him up on that. Though, of course, uh, I would continue and do continue to pray for for people in power in this country. And that's something I take very seriously. I just think that uh, we should be careful. Be bigger. This is a bigger thing than Trump. I think Christians yeah, need to be very it, careful it, exactly. about whatever about being identified with the president, with with any president, any political leader of any party in any country, because uh, your wit- witness is so easily conflated with empire, and you don't get a chance to express yeah. to talk about what you do and don't agree with about this or that, uh, whether it's uh, immigration or, or taxes or religious freedom or, or, or abortion or whatever. That, that's not something that's going to be communicated in a photo that only shows your personal witness smiling next to a a ruler uh, an earthly ruler yeah. and i think we need to be really really cautious about that especially in this time of year there, there's a reason jesus didn't come when jesus was born he wasn't born in a in a roman palace he was born in yeah. a manger and that's something we're 
we've always known we talk about I, I think a lot of these people in this photo will probably talk about over the next couple of weeks from stage yeah. and I hope they see what I would consider to be some irony in that considering this particular photograph yeah and and, and I and I, I also I don't want to like question the motives of anyone in that photo because uh, no, I, I, I'm sure it, it be, it, and because I'm sure uh, you know they they are pure like if you're invited to go pray mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. someone in power I feel like you need to take that opportunity but but I do yeah the the, the photo itself uh, I, I can see why it's strong criticism and and here's that here's that verse I'm I was referring to it's Matthew six five and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by others truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't I don't think any of those people are directly violating this verse, but I feel like the intention of that warning by Jesus is, man, we we, we need to be really careful about Mm -hmm. what we're what we're kind of showing outwardly, because God, you know, he honors what's done in secret that what isn't posted on Instagram or, you know, whatever. You know, to, to today, there aren't a lot of people in the public sphere praying on street corners, right? But there are a lot of people who are, are who are posting things on Instagram that could be interpreted as, uh, you know, pious, even if the intentions of the person posting it are positive. And I think that's why Jesus gave us this warning. It's like, listen, are we more concerned about how many people see us doing good things or are we more concerned about God seeing it? And I And I feel mm-hmm. like you know, photos like this open up that conversation along with the conversation, which I feel like uh, uh, you have, you know, articulated well, Tyler, about, you know, not, you know, partisan politics, but being associated with uh, politics in general uh, as people of faith or or people in power. Uh, You know, we, we just need to be, we just need to proceed as Christians with extreme caution there, you know. The last thing I'll say about this, and this is something I thought about a little bit last night as I was as I was kind of just mulling this over a little bit is, and I want to say this with a caveat that I, I don't know Nancy Pelosi. I know I have a lot of disagreements with her policies, uh, but I, but I I uh, when she, and when she says that she prays for the president. I don't know how, you know, I, I I take her at her word on that. I she that may just be a talking point, but let's assume that. Let's let's assume the best and assume that she really does pray for the president, pray for the Trump family. Um, She does that and she meets with the president and has been photographed with the president while still making it very clear that she has some sharp disagreements uh, morally with this administration. I think that a lot of the the criticism and even outrage that I've seen would be far less pronounced if there had if there was that sort of nuance that had been laid down ahead of this particular photograph uh no i i want people to pray for the president i want him to be yeah. around good people for him to be advised by people who who can speak true things to him i i would be silly for me to not want those things uh, but I also think that it is possible to do that while still making it very clear that you do that there are things that you don't identify with in the administration. There are things that you have issues with. And I think 
some of the the blunt the uh the silence from certain not all but from certain christian leaders has made photos like this look like a tacit endorsement no matter what they say about it after the yeah. fact yeah um so there's a broader there's a broader narrative here that this photograph easily lends itself to that uh that could be could have been corrected ahead of time perhaps could still be corrected now by people who were willing to to express where they do have issues if they have issues with this administration but without that the photograph just sort of speaks for itself uh, so that would be my that, that's what I people think. are going to draw their own conclusions fairly or unfairly based on the information they have and the information they mm-hmm. have is a, is a is a photo of, of people smiling without any any other context of the nuances of individuals, you know, political beliefs or, you know, I, I, I or, or, you know, opposition to certain policies, people are just going to fill in the gaps based on the information they have. And yeah, so, so yeah. that, that's the other risk. But look, I, I still think it's a, it's a powerful thing that, you know, worship and prayer happens at the white house and, sure. um, sure. you know, uh, so I think that's, that, that's never a bad thing, but I do feel like, you know, this has opened up a really important conversation about towing about the line between Christians' willingness to engage with the political process, but not necessarily be uh, manipulated by it. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that. and that's enough. That's all we'll say on that. And and uh, this is a conversation that I expect will be ongoing. Uh, so we'll return to this. I don't know. Uh, and and import, I don't know if anyone brought up the golf cart idea too. Like if you're there, <laughs> you're there. You're Direct there. access. You got, hey, listen, I want to float something by. Uh, uh, I'll do the photo, but uh, I can't help but notice these Secret Service people whizzing around here on golf carts. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. A few hundred thousand. You pepper them. You pepper them. Because people keep the radius tight. You understand what I'm saying? Am I attracting clear? Like I said, Buddha can figure out the key, Sitch. He can figure that out. You got a bunch of nerds running around here? Let them figure that out. You're an idea guy. Like me. They keep the radius tight, don't you see? Think about the time running errands. We're cutting back. It's well, I got okay. Let me listen. I, I prepared a brief PowerPoint deck. Let me. Uh, it's mostly pictures of people having fun on golf carts, but I think it gets the idea across. And this is beautiful. Unifies itself. Now here's a golf cart that is whimsically outfitted to look like an old Jeep Wrangler. Now I, I'm not saying we have to have all of them, but I think a couple of those out there uh, could be kind of fun. This one's got a speaker system in it uh, and an igloo cooler built right in. It's got in the back seat, so a lot of options. That's all I'm saying. You can easily pop the top off on a sunny day. <laughs> Wind blowing through your hair. Hey, look at this one. Look at this one. It's got some some funny little headlights there. Look like a smiley face right up front. I'm just trying to show you what's possible. That's all. That's all. Felt felt reindeer antlers season. You know, it's timely. <laughs> we got a Rudolph uh, Rudolph okay. nose. Look how funny that is. Big Rudolph nose right on the golf cart. Okay, okay. You tracking now? Okay, now I got your attention. You like Rudolph? I know. I know a Rudolph man when I see you. <laughs> Big red nose right up front. Uh, <laughs> 
Coming to number three this week, a church paid off $10,000 in layaway Christmas presents. I do like these stories. Cascade United Methodist Church in Atlanta is paying off layaway presents for two dozen families over the Christmas season at a local Walmart. A senior pastor, Kevin Muriel, said, we've been called by God to be here and we want to be a blessing to those in our community. We believe that God is calling us to do this. He went on to say, we aren't asking you for anything. All we ask is that at some point in your life, that you will pay it forward, that you will bless someone else, because we're all blessed to be a blessing. I'm very into this new trend of churches using yeah. their their offerings and tithes to erase debt. From I hope it's not a trend. I hope this is just a new thing that churches really prioritize, because debt is, is such a stress for so many people yeah. in church communities and churches have resources that very few institutions in this country have to really ease that burden. It's cool to see. Obviously we talked a lot about medical debt and how that's happened for a lot of churches, but using it for Christmas presents is awesome too. Yeah. I, I yeah, just, it's just a cool thing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. unexpected, different. I mean, there's a lot of worthy $10,000 can make, can make a huge difference for a lot of people, you know, and that can be involved in a lot of different causes and great things. And, uh, I think to, to come up with something like this, especially around the holidays and just a no strings attached, listen, we just want to help people. Uh, what a cool, what a cool thing. Good, good on this, yeah, uh, yeah. this church in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool way to to do. And I think I kind of prefer this to like the uh, like people bringing in their own presents where they get like a Barbie doll or a toy truck or something. Yeah. I don't know if that. I have no idea what the kids in the kids are playing. I don't know what the Zoomers are playing with these days. Their their iPads and their Steams and their the whatever it is they're they're playing. So using it for layaway money instead makes a lot more sense. That it gives a lot more. Uh, uh, autonomy to the people who actually are buying the presents. Seems like a cool idea. Listen, I I have placed things in layaway at Walmarts around the country, <laughs> hoping that some benevolent billionaire, some local pro athlete, uh, some church will, will come and just pay off the layaway. I'm really rolling the dice here um, because I've got quite a bit on layaway <laughs> just around the country. Uh, mostly Pastors. in cities that have been, yeah, they, mostly in uh, cities that have sports teams where I feel like, yeah, some pro athlete in a Santa hat might just walk in one day and just <laughs> announce that he's paying off the layaways. It's a risk, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah. You shoot your shot out there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> number two this week, vampire weekend and a children's choir went on James Corden for a festive spin on harmony hall. I like this. This was uh, this was, I did my little Spotify wrapped, this week, you know, my look back at my year yeah. on Spotify, uh, Harmony Hall was my number one song of the year. So this was, so this oh, was wow. tailor made. Wow. This was tailor made for the, for the hot list. <laughs> nice. Vampire Weekend was joined by a crew of cute kids for a particularly Christmassy spin on Harmony Hall. First single off of this year's Father of the Bride by Vampire Weekend. They performed the whole thing on James Corden's Late Late Show, which being with the kids singing that old Charlie Brown tune, Christmas Time is Here. Here's a clip. Incidentally, lead vampire Ezra Koenig's longtime girlfriend, Rashida Jones, was also on Corden that evening. So everyone was really in a, in a festive mood. Are you a Vampire Weekend guy, Jesse? I, I, I am. I, I like I don't dislike Vampire Weekend. I'll say that. You know, they, they kind of have a fun, you know, they have a fun sound. Well, I'm glad you I, don't dislike them. I, I feel like 
I, I feel like I can't exclusively listen to Vampire Weekend, but I but I, I like to mix it in there, you know. Yeah, but this was a fun. This was a fun performance. Yeah, I, I did like. Yeah, I like the song. I do dig the song. And then finally, oh man, number one this week. This is a good one. This is a late. This 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 got in just under the deadline to become number to be our number one spot in the hot list this week. Kel Mitchell is now a youth pastor. So if you watch TV in the 90s, you probably remember Kel Mitchell. Alongside Kenan Thompson, obviously has gone on to become a long-running star of SNL. Kel Mitchell played in Nickelodeon series, including All That and Kenan and Kel, as well as the movie Good Burger, based on their sketch comedy. And this month, Kel has a new career. In a Facebook post, Kel said that he has officially become a licensed pastor. According to the post, he is now the youth pastor at LA's Spirit Food Christian Center Church. Along with the announcement, he posted Romans 8, 28, and 29, which reads, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Though he grew up the grandson of a pastor, Kel has been open about some of the personal struggles he faced before recommitting to his faith. In 2015, he shared on his site, quote, let go of your past, be a new creature in Christ. I did. I let him in and life is good now. My eyes have been opened. I've always known God, but now I have a true understanding of who he is and why I am here and why God has kept me safe. And sinful ways are no longer around me because I'm surrounded with the love of Jesus and I've allowed him to make the decisions in my life. I study the word. I worship his name with praying and song. Um, so, yeah. Congratulations to Kel Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. I th- we need more celebrity youth pastors. I only know of Kel. There's got to be more celebrity mm-hmm. youth pastors out there. But, so. yeah. you know, Kel actually auditioned for SNL, too. But Keenan got the spot. They both auditioned mm-hmm. for the same spot. And, oh, and wow. Keenan ended oh, up getting that. Ouch. I wonder why. Yeah. Because I always thought Kel was funnier. I don't know. Kel was really the like Kel was Kel was the funny one on Kev Keenan. Like Keenan yeah, was the, usually the, kind of the, like straight the straight man, man. to yeah, Kel's exactly, exactly. goofball. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. should have just hired them both. Like, let's be honest. I know they should have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be, because Keenan's humor has aged really well. I feel like you know, like he doesn't. He's uh, consistently uh, the highlight of SNL. Keenan always. Keenan's always good on SNL. Even when even the sketch is bad, he. He gives it his all. He's good. His range is kind of limited, Keenan. You know, like, uh-huh. he, like most of his big laughs coming come from like the same variation of like a funny look, like those big, you know, when his eyes get really big and he kind of looks eyes, to the side, yeah, yeah. you know. But like, it, hey, it works. But yeah, it would have been. Co- but hey, good, good for Kel. I mean, if you can't get, uh, you know, he, SNL didn't work out, but it's cool that he's. Uh, oh yeah, it's cool that he's in, in ministry. Yeah, now. yeah, for sure. Well, that will wrap it up for this week's. It's the hottest, the hottest. It's sizzling. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mark Stewart joins us. Like 
five bags on a golf cart. So this wouldn't really <laughs> affect your grocery wants. shopping, Christmas shopping. Uh, this is still a. This is st- still. We're talking minimal lifestyle change for maximum impact. Maximum impact because it's super. You're gonna be. You're gonna look for errands to run. You're gonna be looking for things to do because uh-huh. it's so fun to be on that golf cart. You know, especially whimsical <laughs> Rudolph knows right up front this time of year. People will love it. People will love it. Well, Mark Stewart is the former lead singer of Audio Adrenaline and is the author of the new book, Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rockstar Discovered His Greatest Purpose. In it, he explains how a rare vocal condition cost him his music career, but led to a new calling, serving the people in Haiti through his organization, Hands and Feet Project, whose mission is to raise a generation of orphans who will grow into men and women who will have a relationship with Christ and be leaders in their communities. Jesse, you talked to Mark a little bit about this book and his really crazy story. It really is a crazy story. So before, um, you know, we, we, we get to, you know, I, I don't want to reveal too much, um, you know, before the interview gets started. So uh, just for context, obviously, Audio Adrenaline at, at one point was one of like the biggest sort of like CCM bands in the world. Like they were, I mean, I'm Between sure. Newsboys and DC Talk and them, I feel like they were, that was kind of the trifecta of 90s Christian rock, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Mark Stewart is the face of audio adrenaline. He's a, he's a singer, um, but he he had something strange happen where he started to lose his ability um, to, to hit certain notes. And he ended up hmm. um, having a, a pretty severe uh, vocal issue that cost him his ability to sing. Um, here, here's here's Mark, you know, kind of discussing at that time in his life. Yeah, that was a pretty dark time. Um and I did. I developed a vocal disorder called spasmodic dysphonia. But I did. I wasn't diagnosed with that until two or three years after the band was shut down. So what was happening at the peak of our career? My voice started to lose power. It began to get weaker and weaker, and then I started to lose control of my voice. The notes I couldn't hit the notes anymore. My range, it shrank um, on both sides, the high side and the low side. And then ultimately, it just was became so uncontrollable, I couldn't really sing at all. And um, and really, the, the key there, the, the word was control. I basically lost control of what you know I thought I was born to do. It was just stripped from me. Um, so as you can imagine, it was frustrating. It was, it was, um, it was daunting because there was a lot of people depending on me as a lead singer. It's not like you can put a new drum head on or, you know, buy a new guitar. It was a vocal cord, and no one could tell me what was wrong with it. So I would go to voice doctors and vocal coaches, and the voice doctors would, you know, basically take a camera down my throat and look at my vocal cords, and they, you know, they would tell me there's nothing wrong, um, and I'm like, well, there's something wrong, and that was the toughest part was not knowing what happened and why, and then it, you know, other things began to unravel. The voice thing is is a small part of the journey, um, but. You know, I lost more than my voice. I lost my marriage. I lost my dream to serve God. Everything that I thought I was in control of, I lost control of. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he goes to this time where he's, you know, at one point, like this big, successful musician. And as he explained, you know, the, 
his life really kind of took uh, a really difficult turn. And, you know, th- mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the themes that he, he talks about a lot is not surrendering control of your life, but, but losing control of your life and, and, and what can happen as a result of that. And so, um, you know, he, <clears throat> you know, th- this really led him to a personal low. Um, but there was a, a moment where he had an encounter with God and his faith um, that that sort of reinvigorated him because it, it really did seem like his whole life was falling apart. Um, and here's Mark talking about when things started to kind of turn around. The band was shutting down. Um, my marriage was over. My wife literally just left with a box truck with most of the furniture. And um, I thought my life was over. I thought, you know, my, my ministry, um, my witness was destroyed and I was ashamed. And the next morning, literally the next morning, I had one night of the darkest despair, but I walked out to my, my old truck, my old Bronco. And, um, I don't know if I should give it away, but basically God showed up in the front seat of this Bronco through some music uh, that I had written six years earlier. It was on the radio. Um, and it was a song that I was singing to somebody else who lost everything. And the moment I asked God to stop my truck, he showed up uh, and started my truck. And the song that I had written six years earlier was on the radio. I hadn't been on the radio for six years. Um, and I just felt God say to me, that I knew you then, and I had you write this song. I knew you before you were, you know, born and knitted you together in your mother's womb. And I'm romantic for you. I'm intentional. Every moment, I'm in control. And um, that was the rebirth. That was like me being reborn again, again. And I started to learn to trust him. And I learned to basically accept that I'm not in control that he is. He's the, he's the beautiful author of my life, not me. So he, he kind of has this, uh, you know, healing moment after, after going through, you know, personal and professional loss. And, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And he ends up, his parents were actually missionaries in Haiti. So he, he decided Mm -hmm. at that point to, to, go down to Haiti where he could kind of be anonymous and just serve people. And and no one knows him as the, you know, the former lead singer of this big band. They just know him as as someone, you know, serving in the community there. And so, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, it's 2010. He's remarried. He's, he's visiting his parents, serving, uh, uh, doing some mission work in Haiti and the earthquake happens. He was actually uh, living in Haiti. He was actually in Haiti when the just catastrophic earthquake. I think, you know, everyone, you know, I'm sure both you guys remember the, just the, the devastation um, that, that happened. And, and so he was in the country uh, and um, where he was, his building uh, fortunately uh, wasn't destroyed. Um, 
But, uh, you know, as he describes it, he didn't really know what was going on at first. But within a few minutes, they, they realized that this was a really bad situation. Um, and, and, and they would soon realize just how bad it was. Here is him. Here's Mark talking about being in Haiti when, when the earthquake happened in 2010. Within about two or three minutes, all around us, you know, hell broke loose. And we start to discover... Uh, very quickly, the magnitude, um, we started getting phone calls from, you know, our staff members in Port-au-Prince, and they were like, it fell down. The town we were in, Jacmel, it fell down. The roads in and out of where we were were collapsed. You know, school buildings were down. And then shortly after that, we realized we were some of the only people with internet. And uh, so we were doing interviews with Wolf Blitzer and the BBC and one of the only people there that were able to kind of report from the ground on the southern coast of Haiti. We were about 15 miles from the epicenter of the quake, uh, about the same distance as Port-au-Prince. The actual earthquake happened in Laogon. And um, it was, like I said, the, the moment the quake hit, it wasn't terrifying. It, what was What was devastating was walking around afterwards and seeing the amount of loss. And um, I've never seen that kind of destruction and death before. It was a, like a war zone. And, um, but then quickly the church, capital C, started to come together, and it was fantastic to see not only the American church bringing supplies, but the church in Haiti come together as well. And it was, it was remarkable how God worked. So, you know, after after that, you know, it really led to him kind of, you know, his whole mission was has become, and you know, the big thing that he wants to do with his life now is serve the, the, the community in Haiti. And, you know, we talked earlier about his organization, um, uh, hands, the Hands and Feet Project. And, you know, his he had his story has such this, uh, you know, from you know, really high highs, these really low lows to kind of rediscovering his purpose, you know, with the book and just with his own personal testimony, he's now able to see that his story can really hopefully be used to inspire others that when they lose control, it's actually an opportunity for God to take control. And, uh, you know, here's kind of Mark reflecting on kind of just the direction his life has gone since then. You know, it was just gradual steps. God just kept moving the needle for me to have a voice for Haiti. It was the adoption. It was the earthquake. It was becoming a voice for the fatherless. It was then becoming a fighter for family preservation. Um, and I became entrenched with using my voice to fight for kids who didn't have a voice of their own. The earthquake was a part of that, but it was it was multiple things that got used to just keep driving me home. And it wasn't until my friend Roger was like, you got to tell this story. Um, your voice went from being a rock star to the voice of these kids and what you went through uh, in loss and with the earthquake and all these things is, is an epic journey that should be told. It's a testimony of redemption. Uh, yes, but it's also a, a, just an incredible story. And I was like, oh, you know, it does feel at times like I was kind of the forest Gump of Christianity. Like these things would just happen. And um, 
and it was remarkable. So yeah, it's such a it, it, fascinating story. You can learn more his his book. It's out now. Losing my voice to find it. Uh, How a rock star discovered his greatest purpose, and it's by Mark Stewart. Man, thanks a lot, Jesse, and thanks, Mark, for sharing that story. That's super cool. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, listener of the week. over a million children trapped in the darkness of sexual slavery. Destiny Rescue is a Christian-based organization dedicated to rescuing these kids and helping them stay free. Girls like Tala, who once was a worship leader, became trapped and sold for sex. All seemed hopeless, yet she still prayed for a way out. Then one night, she was found by a Destiny Rescue agent. Our rescue agents are relentlessly seeking finding and rescuing brave individuals around the world through a variety of rescue tactics. We help survivors let go of traumatic past through individual aftercare plans and empower them to live out their God-given destinies. Today, Tala is going to college and getting a communications degree. She is earning a safe living and has even returned as a worship leader in her church. She has found hope, worth, and restoration in the light of Jesus Christ. You can be a light and reach the next child waiting in the darkness at destinyrescue.org. You're listening to You Had Your Soul With You by The National. All right, it's time for one of our favorite segments. We're going to do another round of Listener of the Week. Take it away, Jesse. All right, well, it is that time. Tyler, like you said, it is... uh, uh, I love doing this meeting, meeting the good people who listen to this podcast. Listener of the week. And I found a listener of this week. Yeah, exactly. I found a listener of the week this week and, and who who sent three interesting facts. But in light of our conversations earlier about my pitch to the president, uh, I found (laughs) someone that has actually met a president and I have a lot of questions. I'm going to ask her. Uh, I would like to welcome to the show, Kelsey, Kelsey, congratulations. You are a listener of the week. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited. Kelsey, where, where are you calling us from? I am currently calling you from the ski bus in Salt Lake City, Utah. Salt Lake. Salt Lake City, Utah. Are you, are you from Salt Lake City or did you, did you uh, relocate there? Uh, we relocated. We just moved here a few months ago from Houston, Texas. And then before that, Joplin, Missouri. What, what brings you, what brought you from Houston to Salt Lake City? Uh, my husband's a software engineer. Uh, they have okay. what's called the silicone, silicone slopes over here. Um, the tech industry is really booming in Salt Lake, so we moved here. The silicone slope, I like that. I like I like yeah. the silicone slope. <laughs> that sounds like a, a cool sledding location. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> like when you first said it, I kind of thought that you meant your husband was involved in the fake snow they do for ski resorts. And, I, and now I understand that's not the case. You know, the that sounds like a cool slope. 
<laughs> well, Kelsey, you sent three interesting facts. I I'll, I want to do the first two uh, 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 pretty quickly because I want to I want to talk about you meeting the president. Um, but you okay. were <laughs> first. You were attacked by a haunted house. How does a haunted house go about attacking someone? Oh man! Well, okay. So, so um, we lived in Joplin, and um, the tornado that hit in 2011, the houses and stuff, the people that survived had basements, and so we were determined to find a home with a basement. And so we were uh, looking at different houses, and we went to a home that was probably about a hundred plus years old and it was a really strange home. It had um, like the pantries and the, and the refrigerator and everything was like covered in wood. So it kind of like disguised itself. I had strange rooms in the house. Oh, in the basement was something else. The basement, you went down and you were in what looks like a normal basement. And then all of a sudden, like you walk into a small room and there's a toilet in the middle of the room that's active and that's what? it. Wait, so, hold, on, hold on, Kelsey. The toilet is just in the middle of the room. There's no walls around it. It's just a room with a toilet right in the middle. Yes, <laughs> and a drain in the middle of the room. That should too. be a red flag. I, it was very strange. <laughs> so, so, so how did this, this sounds like the creepiest house I've ever heard described, like secret rooms, a basement, a hundred year old, a giant basement with a toilet right in the middle of the floor. It sounds horrifying. And you're telling me this home attacked you at some point? Yes, it did. So when we make our way upstairs, um, my husband was wanting to check the attic. And so he couldn't get the attic door open. Um, so he had this bright idea that he would get on all fours and I would stand on his back and mm. pull the door open. Mm. And so I'm basically surfing on his back and I pull on um, the attic door and it wouldn't budge, wouldn't budge. And then all of a sudden it busts open, smacks me in the face and shatters my nose. Shatters your nose. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to get surgery afterwards. Oh, wow. Oh because no! Of the accident. So I'm assuming I'm assuming you did not purchase this home. Uh, no, we didn't. I'm surprised we didn't get in trouble either because I literally bled all over the white carpet and the white tile and everything else. Uh, it was it was it was bad. I don't know why you would have got in trouble. The house the house attacked you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lawsuit to me. It also sounds like that that's the type of home that it's not uncommon for blood to be everywhere in there. Like there's probably yeah, been a lot yeah. of murders in that yeah. house. So I don't think they were too worried about a bloody nose. Um, you, you also grew up in a town like our, our former listener of the week that had a haunted orb. You, you've had a lot of creepy stuff, Kelsey, happen in your life. <laughs> Yeah, so we call it the soup light. Um, I grew up in Northeast Oklahoma, and um, just right on the edge of Northeast Oklahoma, Southwest Missouri, um, there is an area in the woods called the Devil's Promenade. So uh, people would go and park on this bridge and wait for the soup light to show up. And it was this light that would just kind of come out of nowhere, kind of float around, um, and then disappear. So... That was the soup light. I never went and visited it because I first heard about it when I was in preschool that time at daycare from one of the daycare workers. Yeah. And it terrified me. Um, I never went, but a lot of my friends have. I don't blame, I don't blame you, but I'm going to be honest with you. A creepy 
orb at you know the devil's curve is not as scary as the reason that someone would put a toilet right in the middle of a room there's no good reason for that <laughs> that, that would haunt, that would that, that that is chilling to me that that somebody like hired a contractor a plumber even if it was a hundred years ago because even back then the guy's like right in the middle of the room you sure what do you why do you want it here sicko there's no good explanation to have a toilet right in the middle of a giant room okay finally uh, this is this is one of the one of the reasons you jumped out kelsey is because you have accidentally met President George W. Bush. Now, listen, earlier in the show, I was talking about some very exciting policy ideas I had for the American people. Unfortunately, I have not had the opportunity to meet anyone in power that could institute my (laughs) incredible ideas. So I need to know how you accidentally met President Bush, because I need to meet somebody in power. How did you accidentally meet him? Right. Uh, So when I was in college, um, I was taking an economics class. It was kicking my butt, really. And he was offering extra credit um, to students if they would go to this political rally that was coming into town. So I was like, well, yeah, I'll do that. I need the extra credit. So you had to get like cleared, um, fingerprinted and all that. I show up to the rally a little early and um, there's still there's like a ton of people there. And I'm 4'11". I'm really short. And so I was kind of standing in the back. And one of the workers came up to me and is like, you know, you can see better if you move over to the side. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of moved over to the side and was standing there. And being 4'11", um, it's not much better because everyone is huge in front of me. You keep getting elbowed in the mm-hmm. face and stuff. So I got elbowed and the people in front of me are like, oh, you're so short. Why don't you get in front of me? So they kind of pushed me in front of them. So then I'm sandwiched in between more people and before I know it, like the people just kind of keep pushing me forward, pushing me forward as I keep getting in their way. And then before I know it, I'm at the front and President George W. Bush comes out and um, he heads over to our section first. And I look around and I'm in the handicap section. <laughs> I didn't realize I was there until he came straight towards us and I'm surrounded by everybody that's in you know wheelchairs and stuff and of course he comes over there and introduces himself and we shake hands and stuff and so um you know thanks for coming and then continues on with the rally but um that's how I accidentally got to meet him were you tempted to shout your most crazy policy idea right to him? Toilets in the middle of every room of every home. Like that should be building code. Were you tempted to take advantage of the opportunity? I I kept my mouth shut. I just wanted my extra credit to get in and get out. So. Hey, that's a spirit. I like the minimal effort. Good job, Kelsey. Like, you're, 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 you're a listener after my own heart because I too would probably... Uh, left immediately after I secured the credit. Well, Kelsey, <laughs> you've had a very fascinating life, uh, and uh, surprisingly stay away from creepy old homes. Yeah, a very terrifying life. I'm not going to lie. Uh, a well, lot of terrifying yeah. episodes. But <laughs> but uh, thank you for calling in. Thank you for being our listener of the week. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoy it. Listen, if you go into a house, uh-huh. listen, you go into a house, you open a, a room, and I can't get over this. Right yeah. in the middle of the room is a toilet. It makes no sense. It's very disturbing. Like I don't want to see more. I don't. I, I don't want to because like usually toilets are backed up against the wall. You know what yeah. I mean? But just yeah. you're just wide open right out there. There's something very, Absurd. very unsettling about that. You know, like someone someone put that toilet there on purpose, and there's no good reason to do it. 
you know, it's, I, I, I need to find the location. Listen, I, I'm going to I'm going to connect with Kelsey offline. I need to, I need the address <laughs> of this home and I need to find the backstory here. I, I will call the previous owners and find out why this toilet's right in the middle of the room. I mean, I feel like I'm more curious about that. Are you guys were you guys not very unsettled by that? It threw me off the whole time thinking about this toilet. <laughs> in the room. I, I had a hard time focusing on the rest of her stories because I was trying to come around to that. And also the the husband's idea. I, I've. I've had my fair share of kind of harebrained ideas, but stand, I'm going to get on all four as you stand on my back and pull on the, I don't want to see anything else in this house after I've seen the toilet. Why would you go to <laughs> exactly. what is it's already like, just, yeah, there's lots on the outside of the doors. In the house. It. It's like, okay, I've seen enough here. I've, I've seen enough of this, you know, serial killers hideaway, but I don't need to go to the attic to yeah. see like the meat hooks hanging yeah. from the ceiling. No, this, thanks. Have, have, no these, thanks. Have these people never seen a horror movie? Has it, is it never, has it, did they just avoided every single John Carpenter? Is it, yeah, never the, the, the attic is nothing but meat hooks hanging from the ceiling and like uh-huh. a pentagram made out of candles yeah. on the floor. It's like, okay, yeah. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. <laughs> I'm just going to use the bathroom before we go. <laughs> I think this is toilet downstairs and then we're out of here. We're out of here. You know, I don't like, I don't like that story one bit. Like one anyway, bit. Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. We don't mean to disparage <laughs> your experience only after you've logged off, but still. So that is horrifying. This is obvious stuff. This is uh, obvious yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, lo- after a long, thanks for sticking with us, everybody, today for a, a special extra long episode of the podcast. And thanks especially to Mark Stewart. Uh, really appreciate him coming on. Check out his new book, Losing My Voice to Find It, How Rockstar Discovered His Greater Purpose. Also, uh, while you're there, check out Relevant Daily on our Apple podcast page. That's where I give you the top five stories of the, of the day at the intersection of faith and culture. And with that, well, hey, oh, real quick, Tyler, we we got a big week. Like a lot of people phone it in the holidays. Not us. Not us. We got a couple big shows coming up. We got oh, Andy Minio right. and Lecrae coming on to play a Christmas game with us next week. Jamie Ivy is co-hosting. We got we got some big shows coming up lately. So uh, refresh your feeds frequently, people. We got we got some good ones coming. To, we're we're ending the decade in style, as I say. Uh, so they, uh, they, I, I'm, I'm excited to, I'm, I'm excited to show up there and excited to, uh, I, I'm really excited to see what, what the next week is going to look like for us. There's a lot of possibilities. Well, well it's, yeah. it's going to shake things up. It's going to be, it's going to be trending. It's going to, it's going to be, I'll I be, can't wait to, it's going to be a big week. I'll be launching my political podcast, which will have one topic and one topic only. That's the golf cart thing. It's going to be just more golf cart talk. I'm talking decorations for them, battery range, keeping radiuses tight. That's the whole topic. Political talk uh, that's coming soon, too. Very excited. Very. Oh, man. Well, well, we will see you all next week. Uh, Looking forward to that one. Uh, And I think until then, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jim String. I'm Jesse Carey. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week. for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe
Well, here's the thing. You can jump out full speed of the golf cart, not even get that hurt. Relevant Podcast Network.